word. Hear God's word to you this morning. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this very morning. You may be seated. Need a little extra prayer for this this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that faith comes from hearing. Hearing your word, the word of Christ. We pray, Lord, that None of us in this room will neglect it to the hurt of our own souls. As we often pray, we mean it, Lord. May we be among those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and to perceive. We pray, Lord, that you would have a place in our hearts, that we would receive you anew through your word this very morning, that we would take to heart your message for your church, that we, by faith, are a part of. And so, God, speak to each and every one of us where we're at, leading us further up and further in to a deeper faith, a deeper knowledge of you, and a closer walk with you. Be with us to this end, Lord, that you might get the glory. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. What was, what is, what is to come, that's exactly what this chapter in Matthew's Gospel is all about. Context is key because as many commentators will mention, I think almost every single one of them that I read mentioned it, this is the most difficult chapter in all Matthew's Gospel to understand. So we need to be charitable 
towards some of the differences we may have in understanding this. But at the same time, uh, I don't think Jesus gave us this chapter so there would be endless debate on all the details. As a matter of fact, I know he gave it to us so that the things we can understand for certain, we would put into practice by faith and be ready when the day comes of his visitation. So context, in many cases, is key to understanding what's going on here. So let's do that real quick. We have to see that um, if we look at the context from last time we were in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has just pronounced seven woes of judgment upon the religious leaders. If you remember that, the Pharisees. And he just mourned over their rejection of him. And he says with gut-wrenching sorrow these words to them. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Wow. And we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter four, uh, 24. And we read this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his, his attention to its buildings. Now listen. Don't miss the symbolism here. There's something heavy going on here. One greater than the temple, Emmanuel, remember that's Jesus' name, God with us. The one greater than the temple, he said earlier, the one greater than the temple is here. That one, the very holy of holies in himself, Jesus, is removing his presence from the Old Testament temple. He's leaving it for the last time. He is walking away. Right upon those chilling words to any good faithful Jew, your house is left to you desolate. Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed from this place. Scary stuff. And the disciples, we have to remember, were all faithful Jewish believers. (laughs) So they could not believe their ears. You know, like sometimes, I know my wife and I sometimes say, wait a minute, did we understand that right? Are you sure he meant that? Like if someone sends a text and they're like, and Mary will be like, write him back. And I'm like, no, that's what he meant. And we get in this big argument about what, what the person meant. Well, here the disciples are like, you can picture it. They're saying to one another, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did Jesus really just say, he, he wasn't saying that, that, meaning that the temple is left desolate, did, did he? And so they come right out, and, and one way of doing that to get the answer is they go, well, wait, 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 Jesus, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at these beautiful buildings. Look at the beauty of this, this the grandeur of this temple. And then Jesus gives this earth-shattering reply in verse 2. Just in case they did miss it, he says, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. <laughs> For faithful Jews, this was life-altering. Yeah, we have the benefit, as it were, of looking 2,000 years backwards saying, you know, yeah, we know. They didn't. And so what they were saying is, Jesus, how can you possibly say this? So mind-boggling was it to them that the very place that God promised that his presence would dwell in would be destroyed, so mind-boggling was this, was this to them, that they thought he must be speaking of the end of the world. Because when the temple is destroyed, the end must come. 
They do this in verse 3. You see it. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So for them, the destruction of the temple and the judgment of Jerusalem must occur at the same time of the end of the world. They don't realize, and this is important for us to understand as we look at Jesus' answer, they don't realize they're asking two separate questions. They're asking about two events that are thousands of years at least apart. They're asking two questions. When will the temple be destroyed? And what will the signs of your second coming be? These are two different things. They think it's all one. And what makes it a little confusing for commentators and preachers and for readers like you and me is that in answering their question, Jesus just intertwines the two periods together. So you have to figure out, well, what is he, is he referring to the temple's destruction in A.D. 70 when that did happen? When Titus came and the Romans came and destroyed the temple and no rock was standing? Or is he talking about this verse, is he talking about right before the second coming when he comes again to judge the living and the dead? And then there's all kinds of interpretations um, that follow from that difficulty. And I want to give you what I truly believe from the heart is going on here. Uh, before I could jump into the details so you understand how I believe it is to be viewed. I believe Jesus is explaining the events of A.D. 70 when the temple will be destroyed, which was only maybe, what, 30 or 40 years after his death and resurrection or so. I believe he's describing those events as foreshadowing the events that are preceding the time of his second coming. So in other words, that's a pattern. What happened in uh, Jerusalem in AD 70 is a pattern of the great times of distress and persecution when prior to Jesus' second coming. George Ladd calls it a prophetic foreshortening where the near event of the destruction of the temple in AD 70 foreshadows the far off event of his coming again in glory. All this is to say that believers who lived during the days leading up to A.D. 70 had to be prepared for the trials, for the tribulations, and for the testing that was about to take place. It applied very pointedly to the disciples. For instance, you see it in the book of Acts. Everything that Jesus talks about here began to happen to the disciples. But it also has much to say to us today who live in the time period before Christ's first coming and his second coming, as Jesus gives us clear instructions on how to respond during times of great testing of our faith and times of great apostasy. Big word. Simple meaning. Apostasy is the falling away away from the faith. It is to those who depart from Jesus. Those who at one point claim to be Christians and walk no more with him. That's when I use the word apostasy, I might use it a few times in the sermon. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, those, for those of us who are tempted to despair under godless government leaders, am I waking anybody up yet? Those of us who tend to panic and bite our nails over world crisis and global catastrophes, It gives clear direction from our Lord himself to do what? To stay the course. Steady as she goes. 
Not to give in, not to panic or despair, to keep our head in all situations as we await the day of his imminent return when he will right all wrongs. As we read earlier in the psalm, he will judge the people with equity. That's justice, with fairness. You won't have to worry about, that's not fair. It's coming. But the time as we prepare for that time, Jesus is saying something here. He's saying it's going to get ugly. And the truth is, it it's just keeps getting uglier and uglier, as it were. And we need to be ready for that, just as the disciples needed to be ready to lay down their life. It was no joke to say, I belong to Jesus. It was no joke to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ back then. You were a marked person. And the the nearer we get to his second return, the more that's going to come to a high pitch. The more it's going to get clearer and clearer. We see it even now in our own country. It's going to be clearer and clearer who, who has a genuine faith and whose faith is just for what they can get out of, out of it. We're going to see that in this text. So this is what we're going to take a look at as we begin to look at Matthew 24, those first 14 verses or so. Much of it applies, we're going to see, to the first event that Jesus refers to, A.D. 70, but we're going to see it also has application to us who live in the last days, as it were. We're going to see this. As we approach the end of the age, Jesus warns us about three things. Very simply, he says, don't be deceived, don't be alarmed, and don't be surprised by the suffering you'll have to face. Three things. Don't be deceived, don't be alarmed, and don't be surprised. See, he wants us to know ahead of time what to expect. So let's take a look at the first one. Watch out for deception. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. That's the part of the verse that hits hard. It's no surprise that there will be deceivers. For we know, left to himself, mankind, we are sinful and wicked. But the chilling thing here is many will be deceived. And I don't believe Jesus is talking about ungodly, pagan people out there. I believe he's talking about professed Christians, those who claim the name of Christ, those who started off, at least, professing to believe in him. And Jesus says here, watch out because, watch out that you yourselves won't be deceived because many will come claiming that I'm the Christ and they will deceive many. That's the main verb here is watch out. Look out. Be on guard against deception. Think about it. One of the main things that the evil one specializes in is deception. The very, one of the very first things he did in, when he started his evil work in the Garden of Eden was what? To deceive. What did he tell Eve? You will surely not die. It's the very opposite of what God said. God said, Hugh Eve from this, you're going to die. And he just said, you surely won't die. In this case, Jesus is warning of false Christ, imposters claiming to be him. The interesting thing we need to see before we apply it right to us today is that there were many right after Christ's death and resurrection who came claiming to be Messiah of the Jews, who claimed to be deliverers, who claimed that they were going to um, free God's people from um, 
being dominated by Roman rule. Very interesting. For instance, just to give you a couple examples, you even see it in the Bible. Acts chapter 5, there's uh, Thudius who uh, led a revolt of Jews claiming that he was the one. Another one was named Judas the Galilean. That name doesn't bode too well, does it? <laughs> Very often. Jewish, the Gal, uh, Judas the Galilean. In chapter 21 of Acts, there was an Egyptian who led a revolution and who ended uh, leading thousands to their death. And then the ancient historian Josephus mentions many more in those days who came claiming to be the Christ. And what's interesting is the message that they claim, listen, this is where it really does apply to us today. The message that they preached was a message of revolt against the government. And think about how popular that is. Yes, we could be freed from an evil government. Yes, God's going to deliver us here and now and usher in his kingdom. And those who fell for it ended up going to their death. Jesus is saying, don't be deceived. Don't fall for any sentimental pleas that prey upon your nationalistic sentiments. Jerusalem's judgment is ultimately not from men, it's from God. So don't buy their bag of goods. It's going to happen. It's going to be destroyed. Now listen, here's the point. Just a few things on this point before we go to the next thing. (laughs) The sad truth is, Sometimes professing Christians are the most gullible in all the world. Why do I say that? You remember Y2K? I mentioned it earlier. Christian radio, I was ready to punch somebody through the radio. It had all these advertisements scaring Christians. Oh, we'll sell you dried fruit. We'll sell you water. It's like, why can't you just fill water up and put it in the bottom? Anyway, we'll sell you water. We'll sell you this. And it was this big panic so that you'll be prepared for this catastrophic, uh, catastrophic event. Christians all went out spending all their money. I had people, I had friends buying generators. No lie. And Jesus is saying, seriously? Man. Sometimes Jesus' job is to make us unbelievers. <laughs> In other words, that we don't believe every, everybody that comes down the pike making promises, trying to scare us. Our big thing, we live way after the events that happened in AD 70, but our big thing today is going to be, how will we know when Jesus comes? Now, I remember this is kind of silly, but I do remember this. I remember when I was a kid working at Beacon Beach, I was sitting with some Estonians. Yeah, they're interesting folks. They, uh, they were displaced from Estonia. They ended up living in Canada, and they would come to Beacon Beach in the summers. And, uh, well, I won't tell you too much more, but I sat down, um, I remember as a kid, with, with uh, some of them on their uh, beach blanket, and the, one of them started telling me about how Jesus had come back. And, you know, he lives in this little shop with this, you know, guy. I don't know if he was like a shoemaker or something. And, you know, and and I was just thinking like, you know. But the point is that Jesus is making is when people come claiming that he has come, don't fall for it. So look at verses 26. Uh, I'm going to look forward just for a moment. Verses 26 and 27, Jesus says this. If anyone tells you there he is out in the desert says, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. 
For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Here's the thing that we have to remember. The next time Jesus comes in the flesh, it will be his last time. That's what Jesus is saying. And we won't have to investigate anybody's claims that maybe he's arrived secretly. So here's the thing. We don't have to be worry about shepherds investigating this time. We don't have to worry about magi coming from the east because they heard a rumor he's here. No, we're going to see it just like no matter where you are in the world, just like lightning comes from the east, you see it in the west. Everybody, There's going to be no doubt he's back. It's going to be unmistakable, Jesus says. The very fact that you're wondering if he's come or not means he ain't here yet. It's going to be unavoidable. And to some people's dread, it's going to be inescapable. So Jesus says, watch out for deception, please. Second thing Jesus says, and boy, there are a lot of people that get a lot of mileage out of this one. Watch out for panic. How many people look at the the headlines of of the newspapers and watch the news and listen to social media and say, look, look at this happen. This fulfilled um, Revelation 6, verse 13. And they get in all these details. Much ado about nothing. Listen, because Jesus says this, you'll hear of wars, you'll hear of rumor of wars, but see to it that you're not, listen to me, alarmed. Please don't panic, don't freak. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In other words, it's still coming. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We certainly see that today. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of birth pains. It's not the delivery, it's the beginning. You know, when the woman goes, ooh, ooh, it's just starting. We know it's coming, but it's just the beginning. So for instance, in 1 Thessalonians, give you an example, Paul had to rebuke some of the Thessalonians because they were quitting their jobs because uh, they were waiting for Christ's imminent return. So they're like, well, since Jesus is coming real soon, we'll just, why even bother working? Why, why carry out our normal duties? We'll all quit and pray and wait. And Paul has to say, according to the words of Jesus as well, listen, don't listen to those who are whipping you up into this frenzy. It's not yet. These things had to happen. And yes, they show us that it, it's coming, but it's only the beginning. So then what do we do with the fact, and this is a fact, you do realize that in our our day and age, there is much more natural disasters, they're more frequent, they're larger than they've been in many years, like tsunamis, earthquakes, famines. They are increasing. So what do we do with that? Well, Michael Wilkins, I only have a few quotes this morning, and this one was a good one. He explains it this way. The onset of childbirth is is not steady, but it's a repeated phenomenon, coming in waves over and over again. We We don't know if the baby will come on the 5th, the 15th, the 50th, or the 500th. Throughout the labor, we must remain on guard, but we should not read the false labor as the real thing. 
In other words, it's not time for panic-filled anxiety, nor is it time for crying wolf. How many people? He's coming 1988. He's coming 1994. Oh, I made a mistake. I just reca- I didn't calculate right. He's coming 1995. Oh, he's coming 2000. Stop already. Abasta. What's the time for Jesus throughout the rest of this chapter tells us? It's time for keeping our heads in all situations. It's time for staying the course, trusting him more, loving him more fervently, serving people in the name of Jesus so that they would come to know him, so that they would grow in him, so that they would would holistically be ministered to through the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Listen, they needed to hear that in the early church because you have to understand all kinds of stuff broke out after Jesus' ascension. All kinds of goofiness happened. You know, we always, we, we always go, oh, I wish I could go back to the early church. I don't. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. I go, wow. This is a church the Apostle Paul planted. I don't feel so bad when I look at you guys. You know what I'm saying? The Apostle Paul, I'm like, woo. No, and we need these words as we face someday Some generation is going to be the generation that Jesus returns. And the key we're going to see later is we need to be ready for it. That we should all agree on, whether we're ah-mill, pre-mill, post-mill, pan-mill, it don't matter. No mill, because I ain't got no money. So don't be deceived. Don't panic. It's only the beginning of the end. And the last one, and this this is the one that's going to get you primed for next week. Watch out for apostasy. Remember I told you what that word means? Watch out for a great falling away in the church. People that you were sitting next to worshiping, you find the next week, hey, where did so-and-so go? You find out they even reputed the faith. Look, Jesus talks about in verses 9 to 12. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now Jesus is getting down to it. Now Jesus is meddling. Now he's preaching. He prepares them and he prepares us for what's coming soon down the pike. What can we look forward to? Not the best advertisement campaign, by the way. Persecution. Death. Hatred from all sides. How would you like that? All the nations are going to hate you. Not just your own nation. And to add insult to injury, which makes it way worse and harder to swallow, those that you thought were in the family of God with you will turn away from the faith. They're going to betray you. They're going to follow false prophets. And notice the great sign of this falling away, the great sign you see that shows people have fallen away. Right here, Jesus says, the love of most will grow cold. Is that not the sign of spiritual death? Lovelessness. When you see lovelessness, that's a sign of death. The striking thing is this. 
We can imagine this condition happening years and years after the apostolic age, but in reality, even during the apostles' day, professed believers were already abandoning the faith. They were already following, following false teachers, and they were already joining those who would murder God's people. Listen, that's why 1 John was written. We got books of the Bible written just for that purpose, to warn us and prepare us. The book of Jude, 2 Peter, many sections of Paul's epistles. I think of Paul's own heart, heartache when he cries out, Demas has left me because he loved this present world. In other words, he left the faith, went back into the world. Literally, after fighting the good fight that Jesus told them to fight, the very disciples Jesus is talking to, think about this. Ten out of twelve of them died for their faith. Ten out of twelve. Just what Jesus predicted happened to them. They had to seal their own witness, their blood. They were the real deal. And notice another prediction came true. Judas, one of the twelve, betrayed them. Betrayed Jesus first and foremost, but betrayed the other disciples as well. Jesus said, it's coming. Be ready. Don't be taken off guard. So what do we do? What do they do? Do they just grin and bear it? Do they bare knuckle it? We all know what that's like. You know when it's snowing out and there's ice and you have to drive from one place to the other and you're just, you're bare knuckling it. For us, listen, we face the same things in unfortunately increasing measure. Fellow worshipers leaving the faith. I think of people that I had, I, I had deep fellowship with, with the Lord. Mighty prayer times, times of, of sharing the gospel with others side by side, serving the Lord side by side, singing God's praises side by side. And where are they today? My brothers and sisters, it's chilling. I specifically remember this illustration. It happened to me. A friend of mine that... Um, I had kind of, the Lord used me to kind of bring him back to the faith at that time. At least I thought that. He took me to his friend's house that led him to the Lord originally. And when we went to visit this man, he was back in the world completely, repudiated his faith. And I remember how I'm thinking about my poor buddy. Man, imagine if the guy who led you to Jesus is now apostate. How that would shake your faith. The very one that was to teach you and showed you Jesus now doesn't follow him. But here's the thing that's scarier. That man, the one that I brought to, to meet the person that led him to the Lord, he doesn't walk with Jesus anymore. And then, to the breaking of my own heart, the very person who led me to Christ is now back in the world, new age at best, Saying, you still preaching that same thing? And I take that as a badge of honor. Yeah, I'm preaching the same thing. By the grace of God, pray for me that till the day I die, I'll be preaching that and living it. I beg you. These things are unsettling, to say the least. We live in a culture where it's becoming increasingly more and more hostile to followers of Christ who conscientiously desire to conform their lives to Christ's words and who, who desire to spread the good news of, of Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation to others. When will we ever learn? Listen, when will we ever learn 
we're going to be hated. Get used to it. Jesus says, if you are one of mine, if you follow hard after me, prepare to be disliked greatly. So then how shall we live? Is there any encouragement in the midst of this dark picture our Lord has drawn for us? Thankfully, there is. And that's the last few things I want to talk about before we close. Look with me first at verse 13. What is our hope? But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Standing firm is the very opposite of falling away because these difficulties have come to pass. It's to say like the three young men in Daniel's day who refused to bow down to idols when they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, some of you know the story, listen, O king, when they were before a fiery furnace about to get thrown in. Our God is able to deliver us from that fire. But guess what? Even if he chooses not to, we still ain't bowing down. And you know what? The king got so furious, he had it heated up seven more times. Don't be surprised if that's the reaction. It's to say along with Bishop Hugh Latimer from England, as he said to his fellow martyr just before they were tied to the stake and burned to death for their witness to Jesus Christ, play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Wow. You know, people like to point out, oh, well, look at all these Christian hypocrites. Listen, we need to point out, look at all these genuine Christians that shed their blood in in their witness, that gave it all to prove that Jesus reigns. He's real. He's the real deal. And he's worthy of every bit of our lives. And Jesus is preparing his 12, and he's preparing us today, if we're really his. Listen, here's the powerful takeaway. You know, I wrestled over, Lord, give me some good application. And then this one just came, I really believe God gave it to me. You know I don't say that stuff a lot anymore. But this I really believe. What Jesus is saying here is this. If your faith only works in the good times when there's smooth sailing, then guess what? It ain't faith. It's not saving faith in Jesus Christ. We worry about, oh, well, what do you mean these people falling away? Are you saying they were saved and then they were unsaved? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying those who fell away never had saving faith. Listen. What really makes clear whether your faith is genuine or not? Tough times, suffering, tribulation, persecution. Because listen, if it ain't real, you're going to drop it like a hot potato. Because you're going to say, oh, wasn't counting on this, dude. I'm out. Who's going to be left standing on that great and terrible day? It's only going to be those that truly believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that through believing, they'll have life in his name. And that he is the way, the truth, the life. Remember when Jesus, in the book of John, turns to his disciples. After all those disciples, all of his disciples left him at one point. A big crowd who claimed to be following him. And he looks to his disciples and he says, 
you too going to leave me? You want to go? And they say, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. If you believe that, you'd rather die a million deaths staying true to his name than deny his name for a couple extra years on this planet. Notice there is one sign that Jesus mentions in verse 14 before we get to the rest of the passage starting next week that will signify the coming of the end. This is how you know the end has come. It's in verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Listen, here's what I want to close with. If you're serious about speeding the day of Jesus' return. How many of us, oh, I wish Jesus would just come and end this evil. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Well, if you're really interested in that, then you should be about spreading the gospel far and wide, giving of yourself, giving of your money, giving of your time, giving of your own bold witness to speed the day because the gospel has to get to every nation as a testimony to Jesus Christ before he comes. For two reasons. God is going to give notice to all nations, witness to himself, so they all have an opportunity to come to him. And secondly, because notice in the book of Revelation, we see this great multitude worshiping the lamb and he who sits on the throne. And, and it says in, that, in the book of Revelation, what? That they are from every tongue, tribe, and nation. God will have a representative from all worshiping him now notice what it doesn't say be careful here it doesn't say and all nations will be converted that's not what it says it says the gospel will be preached as a testimony to all nations brothers and sisters we never before in the history of the world has the church had the opportunities we have now to get the word of jesus out but i will tell you this it's still going to cost there's still going to be a price to pay And notice, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Not the gospel of whatever particular nation on earth you're a citizen of, as much as you may love the country that you're a citizen of, like I do. Not the gospel of a new world order, of everybody holding hands saying, you know, we are the world. No, it's the gospel of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will never fade away or perish, a kingdom where righteousness dwells, a kingdom where King Jesus reigns in glory and in grace. Don't you want to be a part of that kingdom like we sing? Don't you want to participate in spreading its glad tidings? Because listen, that's the good news. The good news is the gospel will march on. It will be preached all nations. The only question we have to ask is, are we going to be a part of it? It's going to happen. And the end someday will come. Remember that old corny song? I still kind of, I, I do like the meaning of it though. Oh, when the saints, maybe because my name is Santo, it means saint, it means holy. But when the saints come marching in, or when the saints come marching in, I want to be what? Found in their number when the saints come marching in. When Jesus comes again, I want to be found trusting in him. I want to be found going about his business. I want to be found standing firm to the end. By the grace of God and with his help, may we be so.
Let's pray. Father, these are strong words for a new year. We didn't come here to Atlantic City to fool around. We didn't come here to find a comfortable place. We came here to hold forth the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the hope of forgiveness of sins, that they'd be wiped away through faith in in you, Jesus. We came here to spread your love and your glory and your grace. We came here to make a difference in individuals' lives, families' lives, communities' lives. We came here to minister to one another, Lord, that we might continue in the faith and not give up because we know our faith will be rewarded. So, Lord, use our little tiny church plant that we might have a huge impact because we don't shrink from the task of sharing your good news with poor, with rich, with black, with white, with male, with female. Be with us to this end for your, the glory of your name, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and use us to speed your coming. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now we prepare our hearts to sup together as the people of God. And as we do...